This is Meditations for Misfits, and I'm Fred Gruy. Welcome. In this week's podcast, we explore the story of the giving of the Ten Commandments as recorded in the book of Exodus chapter 20, and we consider how this story offers a cure for the disease of the tiny god syndrome. So this morning we have the reading of the Ten Commandments as found in Exodus chapter 20. And you may have heard that when Moses came down from the mountain of Sinai with the two tablets of stone carved by the finger of God, he told the people, I have good news, I have bad news. Good news, I got it down to 10. Bad news is adultery still in. Um, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. This, these words that we've heard today have just been used in many, many ways. And so uh, I hope we can hear them with the intention behind them this morning. And it would bring liberation. As I, earlier this week, I, I read from a bunch of different sources every week. And that, that's my style. I mean, I, I read some Buddhists, I read some Taoists, I read some Christians, I read some Jews, I read some Sufis, I, I read a lot of different things. And then I look for themes that come across all these disparate kind of readings to try to get the scent or the aroma of the one we call God in the midst of all that. And so this week I was reading uh, Pema Chodron, wonderful Buddhist teacher, who was commenting on a Buddhist slogan where she says, don't make demons out of gods. And as she unpacks that, what she means is don't take things that are meant for our liberation and for our good and turn them into shackles and turn them into bludgeons where we beat each other over the head with it. Don't make demons out of gods, that which is meant to give life and to use that to choke life out of others. And I think... That is a good uh, preamble to the reading of these, what are called the Ten Commandments. The motivation, as I understand it, behind these ten words is uh, guidelines that our Creator has given so that we can live in relationship with the Creator and with each other. I have been a student of the Bible for more than 50 years. And in that time, if there's one thing that jumps out to me in my own study of the scriptures, and I've read cover to cover numerous times, and I've given a lot of time to the study of the sacred texts, if there's one thing that jumps out to me, it is the primacy that God's number one concern, the God of the Bible, the God we call God, Number one concern is relationships with the divine other and with each other. There is nothing more important in the whole Bible than relationships. And, and that's just not only from a spiritual perspective what the Bible is about, it is great wisdom because even Aristotle uh, talks about the flourishing life and what makes for the flourishing life. And the flourishing life has everything to do with what we do with and for others. There is no flourishing in life by myself. 
It's what we do with and for each. So how do we do this together? How do we get along? That's why there's more than 31,000 verses in the Bible. More than 31,000 verses. And there's not one that extols the virtue of individualism. Individualism, nowhere in the Bible, is a good thing. And yet in our culture, it is the idol of our culture. And, and, and so the Bible is all about how do we get along together. So the, the Ten Commandments, the way I read them, are God's suggestions for a relational agreement. We're going to talk about our relational agreement next week and vote on it on October 29th, but this is God's relational agreement. And, and that not only is it how we get along, this is what makes the people a people. This is how they become these disparate human beings, these disparate tribes come together as one people around these 10 things that are handed on to us. And so I want to take a, a look at uh, these things. So the, the first one is Yahweh says you shall have no other God before me. And this is God's prohibition against having idols. And so you know, whatever you think an idol is, an idol is basically this. An idol is whatever you and I run to for comfort and security when we're afraid. That's an idol. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it sugar. You can call it alcohol. You can call it gambling. You can call it other people. You can call it what you want. But if we're running to that for security and comfort when we're afraid, it's an idol. And God is saying, look, when you're afraid, come to me. I will comfort you. I will be your security. You don't need any other. Because all the other things that we run to in the long run are not healthy for us. I have this little thing, you know, in my own mind, I've trained myself over the years. When I say, when I say to myself these words, you deserve whatever the next thing is, is never good for me. When I'm feeling scared or frightened or down and I go, well, you deserve whatever, it, it's just not healthy for me. And so what God is saying is, is come to me. I will give you the security and comfort that you need. So that's the idols. Then this thing about uh, don't make images or craven images. I think that is our attempt to domesticate God. Because if we can create an image of what God's like, if we can fashion a picture, in a sense we can control God. And that's what we want. We all want control. In fact, the reality is none of us really wants a God. What we want is a genie. We want something that we can rub the Bible three times and say in the name of Jesus and supernatural power will show up to get me out of whatever nonsense I've gotten into. And then when, that's, when I'm safely out of the nonsense, quietly jump back in the bottle so it doesn't bother me. That's what we want. We want a genie, not a God. See, a, we can tell a genie what to do. We can give a genie commands. You can't command a God. You can't tell God what to do. And so this whole idea of trying to create images around what God is like, that it's our attempt to control, figure out, understand, 
and that's not helpful. Not good, not good for us. So that's, and then this other, the next one is don't misuse the name of God. Don't take God's name in vain. And, 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 and that was taken so seriously by our Jewish ancestors. They, the, the way they would write out God's name, they put no uh, vowels in it so it couldn't be pronounced, so they couldn't by mistake misuse the name of God. They, so they just wrote the consonants of God's name, no vowels. So it was unpronounceable. It's called the Tetragrammatron, Y-H-W-H. But I think we misuse the name of God so frequently in our day and age. Yesterday was the big pride parade. And we had a group marching in the pride parade. And I put on my clerical collar and my stole. And I marched in the parade with our group. And as we went down around the, the corner to the plaza, there were some folks there. I guess they're called the salt shakers. I didn't know they had a real name. But there were these folks that... Uh, to declare their love for Jesus by telling the rest of us that we're all sinners and going to hell. And they had loudspeakers and they were signs you're going to hell. And as I came by, they saw my clerical collar and stole and they screamed at me, you're a false church, you're a false preacher. You know, and I realized they just have Jesus envy. They think their Jesus is bigger than my Jesus and they just have Jesus envy. And, but what I realized is they suffered, as we all do, from tiny God syndrome. And tiny God syndrome thinks, I know the right way to God and everybody, and they've got to listen to me. And so we get involved in tiny God syndrome and we say, who's acceptable to God and who's not? And if you're not heterosexual, that you're not acceptable to God, that's tiny God syndrome. That's the, that this, it's a sign of tiny God syndrome. And, we, uh, and when we're suffering from tiny God syndrome, we always behave badly, always. And we're all, we, we all suffer from it. I mean, our forebearers, the Europeans that came here a couple hundred years ago, came with tiny God syndrome and saw the indigenous peoples living here and viewed that they weren't really human beings and that they didn't have the right God. And so we came and stole their land and raped their women and took their children and, and killed their man because we had tiny God syndrome. And we thought that was for their good. As crazy as that sounds. And we did the same thing to our African siblings. Said they're not really human. We have tiny God syndrome. And so we enslaved them and put them to work because we thought we knew God and God was with us. And so, the, as, as a species, and I'm not saying this is just Europeans. Look, every culture does this, suffers from tiny God syndrome, and does horrific things to other human beings. Look at the news today, Gaza and Israel, tiny God syndrome. There it is. Our God is right, your God is wrong, this is our land. This, and, and, and we just do horrific things as a species. This is what human beings do. And it's not helpful. And God is saying, don't misuse my name that way. Don't do horrific things and say it's in my name. Don't do that. That's what this commandment, I, I, as I read it, is about. 
And then the, the one on Sabbath, don't work on the Sabbath. Trust this being that created us, that we don't have to drive ourselves crazy like workaholics and, and work 24-7, seven days a week to eke out a living. But trust that the God who created the universe will help supply what we need so we can survive and we don't have to, to drive each other seven days a week and drive the people we live with and work with that hard. So there's an implied trust in the fourth command. So the, these are the, the relational agreement that this being wants to have with us, to try to liberate. The idea behind these is to liberate us, not to beat us over the head, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt, looking to squash us like a bug if we don't do it right. The idea is to liberate us so that we could be free and not misbehave. And then the other six commands are all about our relationships with each other, with our moms and dads. Do nice. And, and we hear these, thou shalt, thou shalt, and we see the finger pointing at us, and it's made people of, like me, preachers, have made us feel bad about these things. And therefore, think of it this way. This is how we should get along. As, as if to say, these are the promises, David, that you and I make to each other. David, I won't kill you. And I won't lie about you. And I won't try to sleep with your partner. And I won't steal from you. And I won't covet your gifts and your abilities and, 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 who, and what you have. I won't do that because we're in relationship with each other. And I want to honor you. See, that's the motivation. How can we honor each other? If we read these things like accountants, like how bad can I be and how much can I get away with before I break it? We've missed the whole point. The whole point is how can I honor you? How can I walk with you? How can I hear your voice, the important things you have to say without feeling shamed and blamed? And how can I speak to you my truth without shaming and blaming you? It's relational agreements. How do we do this? That's the relational agreement we have fashioned as a church, our church council, and what we've worked on that we're going to vote on in a couple of weeks. And so the idea is, if we come into this looking at our own relational agreement that we'll talk about next Sunday after church, if we look at how nasty can I be to you before they're going to throw me out, we've missed the whole point. That's not the idea. The idea is how can we lovingly listen to and talk to each other and encourage one another and walk together and learn from each other. How can we do that? That's the intent. And I believe that's the intent of these commands that are given to us, these thou shouts that if people have beaten us over the head with. And then we get to the ending, which is, you know, it's, it's like a wonderful movie. You have the big climactic ending, as if it's not enough to have these 10 words on the two tablets written in stone by the finger of God. Then, as if to put the bold exclamation point in the underline, God shakes Mount Sinai, and they see smoke and fire coming off of it, and the people are terrified, and they say to Moses, Oh, don't let that creator talk to us. You talk to us, because if we, if we try to talk to that creator, we'll die. Ah. I mean, that's a wonderful move. Steel, Spielberg could do a fabulous job. <laughs> and so what do we make of that? Well, for me, 
Quite honestly, that is the cure for tiny God syndrome. Is when we get a glimpse of what the real God's like, it shatters all our little tiny God syndrome stuff. And so we have this phrase. It's a biblical phrase. You probably have heard it many, many times if you've been to church. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. It says in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And doesn't that sound scary? God wants us to walk around cowering in terror. No, 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 no. The fear of the Lord is a technical phrase in the Bible. It's code language. And this is, when I think of the fear of the Lord, this is what I think of it. My favorite place on the planet is Cape Blanco here in Oregon. It's the westernmost part of Oregon that goes out into the Pacific Ocean. And out on the Cape, there's a lighthouse. And because it's so far out, there's always wind. And I love the wind. And the wind there is really, really strong. I've been there. When the wind is so powerful, I have not been able to open my car door because the wind was pushing so hard, I couldn't get the door open. I love it. And so I, I get out of the car, crawl out of the car door, walk up to one of the pilings on the cliff, and allow the wind to just blow the bejeebers out of me. And there's the massive sky and the ocean before me, and the wind is pounding me, and I realize what a silly little man I am on a great big planet, and how vast and immense it all is. And why do I take myself so seriously? That's the cure for tiny God syndrome, because I realize, oh my God, you are so, I had no clue, oh, wow. That's the fear of the Lord. It is awe. It is wonder. Rabbi Abraham Heschel, a fabulous Jewish writer of the last century, he, he says this. He says, sometimes we wish the world could cry and tell us about that which made it pregnant with fear-filling grandeur. This morning, as I was putting my notes together for what I would say in these moments, I got up before sunrise, and so I'm sitting there, and I watch the sun come up over the mountains. I, I have a view of the mountains at my house, in my office. And, and when the sun comes up, you're just silent. You don't want to say anything. You just sit and watch. It doesn't scare you. I'm not terrified. Oh, now the sun's come out. Oh, no. It's like, oh, wow. It just takes your breath away. That's what this is. And the, the God, I believe, desires to liberate us all from the tiny God syndrome that would cause us to act so inhumanely to each other. And that's what these words are given to us for. They're for our liberation. They're for our freedom. Now, and I'll end here with my favorite rabbi, who is Jesus of Nazareth. And Rabbi Jesus, you can imagine now how radical it was when Rabbi Jesus showed up and said, you know, this being that you're all so terrified of, this one you're, you're, so, you're so afraid you won't even write his name out because you don't want him to be. Let me tell you, this being's name is Mama, Daddy. That's what Abba means. The, the, the word Jesus always referred to God, Abba. This is your dad. This is your mom. This is your, this one you're so terrified of. That's who it is. And then Jesus summarizes these 10 commands into the great one. 
Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Folks, in all reality, it just ain't more complicated than that. Love God, love each other. If we do that, we do everything, all ten, all of these things are fulfilled. And that's what we're about in this place, just trying to do that and to do it in reality and to do it with kindness, but to really do it. Not just talk about it, but to do it. That's what we're about. And so when I read these words, let's not make demons out of gods. Let's not use these things to beat each other up. Let's listen to these words to liberate us to truly love each other. May it be so.